give you thanks and we just say, Lord, speak today, direct our thoughts, open our ears and Lord, mould our hearts so that we're ready to respond to you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you to the team out the front. Thanks to all our technical team. We had a few access issues this morning. Didn't get into the hall until quite late, but uh, you wouldn't know it from the way that they're serving today. They have done a fantastic job bringing everything together. So thanks as usual to, to Sam and Dave and everyone involved. And just great to worship God. Still January 2018, new year. Uh, looking forward to what's going to be coming up this year and uh, getting ready. Uh, parents, are you ready for kids to go back to school? Some of them have gone, most of them have. Anyway, okay, let's just have to think about that a bit later. But uh, anyway, it's going to be good as we get going. The series that uh, we're doing over the next five weeks is called The Church We Can Be. And uh, it's, it's a, it's, I really sense God's timing that this series has become available in the lead up to us celebrating our 20th anniversary here at the Hills. Now, when an anniversary rolls around, uh, and perhaps we can take an example from the marriage anniversary, uh, I guess there's a tendency to say, well, look at this, you know, we've, we've been here for 20 years, and, and a tendency to look back and to reflect. And I, I absolutely believe that those occasions and those moments are good, uh, that it is good to do that. Uh, and uh, that, that uh, you know, we, can, we can, can and should do that. But certainly when it comes to a, a church and probably for a marriage as well, there's no sense that, oh, we've reached the end. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's no sense of what's going to be, you know, there's nothing coming up. So it's good to also give thanks for what is going to happen in the future. And so I think as we celebrate our church anniversary, you don't want to just say, well, here is the Hills Christian Family Centre, forever it will be thus. And, you know, its best days are behind it and, well, let's just have a party. I think do have a party, but let's not think that what's happened so far is all that there is to happen in this fellowship or, for that matter, in our lives individually and the way we follow after Jesus. So it's going to be a time of asking the question as well, what is the church we can be? What is God calling us to do, if I might say, this year, but not only that, in the next 20 years? So we're going to spend the next uh, few weeks talking about that uh, and then uh, we are going to come together on the 25th and, and celebrate together uh, and close that series and ask not only give thanks for what's gone, but also to give thanks for what's about to occur. So I trust that you're going to join me in that and that you're going to celebrate that and it's going to be a great time over the next five weeks. In asking the question about the church we can be, we're going to start at the start. I like to follow sequences and do things logically where possible and week one, what's at the core uh, is where we're going to begin today. We're going to spend a few moments to say, when it comes to talking about the church we can be, let's look at what's at the heart of that and, and, and re-centre ourselves and say, when we talk about the Hills Christian Family Centre, these are the things that we mean. And I'm borrowing to start with from three images that the Apostle Paul 
draws on in quite a quick sequence in the letter to the Ephesians church. And for those of you following our Life Journal Bible reading plan, you would be reading Ephesians right now, uh, which is fantastic, and then you'll get really excited when you see these scriptures come up on the screen. And there's three things that Paul says in his letter when he describes the church, and he uses the analogy of a bride, a body, and an army. And while for some of you that might be a little bit abstract, or, or maybe some of you are very familiar with these, he, he does it deliberately because he's trying to give to the church in Ephesus the sense that what they are about is embodied in these three things, in these three images. That these three images present for them a very special place and a very special way of understanding how the church relates to Jesus. Because in each of these three, they're not just standing on their own, but they're the bride of Christ, the body of Jesus, and the army of God, if you like. So it's not just these things standing onto one side, but they have an absolute purpose. So um, I want to unpack firstly uh, what it means to be a bride when we talk about a church. And I've even got a video to illustrate this, and I'm really excited about this because I've been waiting for years to share this with a church community, this little video. And I really hope you're going to get it and you're going to be excited about it. If you have no idea what it means, then let me know afterwards and I'll weep. But I, I, I'm really excited. This day has arrived and I get to use this video. It actually makes sense in this sermon. So in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking to husbands and wives, kids and elders about how they should relate with each other. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Now, husbands, who's happy with that a commandment? Can I just, you, you're working with that today? Okay, husbands love your wives, that's pretty good. But he immediately heads off and, and he reaches for this example to give to husbands in the way that they should. This is the way that you should love your wife. Uh, you should do it just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Now it's very easy to read this quickly and I've talked about this before and I'm not going to go down this track today but when Jesus tells a husband to love his wife as Jesus loved the church it means you die first literally and metaphysically, well, not necessarily literally, but if you have to, you do. Uh, but it's, he's serious about the fact that husbands sacrifice themselves for their wife and their family. But what he wants to talk about is the fact that um, the, the wife, uh, or sorry, the church is the bride of Christ. So now, fellas, if you're having trouble seeing yourself as a bride here today, I understand so just, just take it easy. But all of us collectively together are the subject of an intense devotion by Jesus Christ. That you being part of the church are not just a member of a club, but you're part of a body, if you like, that is subject to an intense devotion 
by a wonderful groom. That Jesus has set his affection on his church in a way that is intense, that is devoted, that is sacrificial, and that he isn't even is prepared to die on its behalf so that it can not only come into existence, but can be nurtured and cherished and developed and grow and be built to even be presented wholly and pure before God the Father himself on the great judgment day. So while you might struggle with the idea of being a bride, I don't think you should struggle with the idea that you are the subject of an intense devotion by Jesus, the bridegroom, because you are part of the church, you are subject to that. Let me just check the next one. Yeah, there you go. So um, this devotion is summed up brilliantly in Romans chapter 5, verses 5 and 8. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He who has been given to us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit, but that has followed his willingness to die for you to come into his body, literally, and to come into relationship with him, not just a financial transaction, not just a a sort of a membership transaction, but a deeply devoted love relationship. A deeply devoted relationship where he has set his affection on his church and he will not allow anything to gum against it. He will not allow anything to disrupt it. He will commit himself in fullness to that particular image and and interest. So I want you to be encouraged by that and to know that the fact that the church is described as a bride is a lot better than the church being described as a buddy. All right? Jesus, like a devoted husband, has connected himself to you and to us forever in a way that is magnificent and beautiful and pure. Now, here's where this video comes in. So we're about to see if this little attempt is going to work. This is a clip from the marriage of Prince Frederick and Princess Mary in Denmark. Is that where it was? Uh, I think in 2004. Has any of you, did any of you watch this ceremony? Put your hands up if you saw this ceremony. Okay. I saw this live like obviously a lot of you did and I'll never forget I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about the image that was going on at the time as Mary entered the chapel and walked up to Frederick and they sat, interestingly, before a massive statue of Jesus. It was a wonderful picture but there's some more imagery that's more important than that. When I play this video, I want you to uh, translate it in the following way. Firstly, Prince Frederick is Jesus in this image. All right, can you get that? Those of you taking notes, the prince is Jesus, all right? When you watch it, you've got to imagine he's Jesus. The bride, Princess Mary, is the church. Okay, so she's coming down the aisle. She represents the church and she's approaching her groom, who is Jesus. Have you got that so far? Pretty easy, we've talked about that. 
The father of the bride is the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the father of the bride is escorting the church down the aisle way of life and is presenting the bride to Jesus, the bride's groom, ready for this marriage. Have you got that? You're working on that? I've got a few nods. Okay. Now, you'll see also that they, the father of the bride and the bride stop before the queen and the king and bow. So you've got to imagine the queen and the king as God the father. We've got the trinity now. This is good, isn't it? We've got the trinity and we've got the church. All right. So they bow to the father before the couple is joined for the marriage. All right. Then you've got to imagine that all of the congregation that are witnessing and for that matter the choir that are singing uh, the wonderful song uh, written by Handel. I won't go into the details about that. That's really exciting too, what they're actually singing while it's happening. They are like the heavenly witnesses. They're like the angels and the heavenly beings who are rejoicing as the church arrives in the presence of Jesus. Rejoicing that the Holy Spirit has brought forward this church, pure, wrinkle-free, as the scripture says, and consummates the marriage with the wonderful groom. Now, one thing that was very moving about this ceremony was the fact that the groom cried as his wife approached and walked down the aisle. How about that? He was moved by the thought of this woman approaching him in marriage. And I looked at it again yesterday and I thought, as I looked at Frederick, that I think Jesus might cry when the church approaches him. And I think he might remember his sacrifice that brought the church into being, that he might think of the massive journey over the thousands of years as the church has been nurtured and also persecuted and brought to this point where Jesus receives his bride into his presence. And I thought that was an entirely appropriate image. So, folks, this goes for four minutes but I want you to step into it and imagine it as a parable and an example of Jesus receiving his bride, the church. Thank you, David, and thank you, team.
There you go. What did you think of that, folks? Okay, there's a few smiles. I think you get it. I just love watching that. And it's not because I like royal weddings. But it speaks to me of, of this wonderful moment when Jesus receives his church into eternity and the way that he sets his affection on his church. That music, by the way, is called Zadok the Priest. It's written by Handel uh, about uh, 400 years ago and it simply says Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon as king. So it's taken from 1 Kings and then the people rejoiced, Amen, Amen, Hallelujah. And it's played at the coronation of every British monarch since that time. So uh, you might hear this lovely high-pitched singing and think, what's all that about? It's just they're singing the Bible, <laughs> interestingly and recalling the anointing of Solomon as king and setting that there. Why they had it at that wedding, I don't know, apart from the fact that it sounds good. But anyway, so there you go, folks. So that's one of the images that Paul uses to talk about the church. Next one is the body. And interestingly, he swings into, out of bride and church, into body and church and Jesus in the same passage that he's talking about husbands and wives. He says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. How? Just as Jesus does the church, for we are members of his body. So sometimes we might think, well, you know, I'm not very important or I just sort of come when I can or, you know, I I don't know where I stand, but... uh, Paul is saying that because you've said yes to Jesus, you are connected with his, almost his physical being and that Jesus doesn't neglect those that are his. Jesus doesn't just sort of, oh, well, you know, I'm a bit busy with other things, but you are intimately connected with him. And so we are that close to him that he's not only set, us, set his affection on us as his bride, but also we are members of his body which he will not neglect. He will not despise. He will not fail to take care of. So uh, we need to remember that we are thought of in that way when it comes to Jesus and his likeness. Um, Therefore, in light of the fact that we're connected with the body of Jesus, we're encouraged in Ephesians chapter 3, to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So the fact that we are regarded as a bride, firstly, if you like, speaks to us individually. We are encouraged by the fact that Jesus has set his affection on us. But then the fact that we are part of his body is an encouragement to us and an instruction about how we relate to each other. Paul says, in light of the fact that you're connected with Christ, then don't give Jesus a stomachache. (laughs) Don't give him heartburn. Don't pull him in different directions. Don't give him a headache. Don't stress him out, as it were. But instead, we as a church are called to unite together, to bind together, to be completely humble and gentle with each other, patient with each other, bearing with one another in love. 
Who here is not in need of grace? (laughs) We all are in need of grace. So because we are ourselves in need, we need to share it liberally with each other. We need to share it generously with each other. We can't be walking around and calling each other and judging each other when we ourselves are in fact in need of grace ourselves. So because we're connected with Jesus' body in that way, we need to be acting in that way. Then he goes on in Ephesians 3 to say, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, For him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now we need to just spend a little bit of time with this. Did you know that bodies were made to move? Did you know that? So we don't usually look and say, look at that body sitting there. Now there's there's nothing wrong with sitting on your lounge. I like to do it. Um, But we got here today because we moved. So the fact that we are a body and that we are part of Christ's body, it's expected and natural that it has a function, that it does something, that it moves, that it interacts, that, that it's alive. And Paul says that it grows. Now, some of our bodies are growing in different ways than others. I'm not pointing any fingers. But it means in terms of maturity and in terms of growth, in terms of our nature and our character. So folks, it's not enough for us to say, I have arrived. It's not enough for us to say, well, I'm a body and I just sit down. It's not enough to say, well, I'm a body and I'll never change or grow or develop or or, or mature. Uh, I'm just going to be like this forever. Even those of us who are on the wrong side of 50 need to open up to the fact that they're still growing and moving for us to do, that they're still developing for us to do. So being part of Jesus' body uh, doesn't mean that you know we've been parked somewhere, but it means that we are inextricably on the move, that we're, we've got a mission and a ministry. And as Paul says at the end of that passage, Each part has work to do. So when we talk about the church we can be, we're not only saying that we are a church that is greatly uh, devoted to, if you like, by Jesus, but we're also saying that we're a body that needs to show each other grace because we're intimately connected with each other in Jesus. And we're also a body that's going to be on a mission and a ministry. That that we're going to be moving, we're going to be doing something, we're going to be growing, we're going to be developing. By God's grace, we're not going to be the same this year as we were last year, that in some way we're going to go forward. And I want to know and invite all of you to open yourself up to that growth as we contemplate our 20th anniversary and beyond. The final image is the one of the army. And uh, sometimes people find this a bit confrontational to think about the church as an army, but it gets its context when we talk about spiritual warfare. As Paul wraps up the letter to the Ephesians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Folks, you not only have to receive love as a bride, you not only have to grow and mature and develop as a body, but also as an army, we are going to have to fight. We are going to have to take action against something. We're going to have to make a stand. Now, I'm not talking about building each other in the head or anything like that. I'm not talking about a war, except that we are going to have to take ground off the enemy. We're going to have to put a a mark in the ground and say, we are going forward from this point. We are not giving up that ground in our life or in, in their life or in anyone's life, but we're going to take ground from the enemy so that others can come into this place and know the love and the devotion of Jesus Christ. Even an example could be Willie's help people, how people grow course. A person who's joining that course might say, as Willie said, I will not accept this state of affairs forever in me. I will grow. I will change it. I'm going I'm to move out and fight this year. I'm going to take action and take steps. And in order to change and to grow and to develop. So the army image is an important one, but it relates to the spiritual warfare that we're called on to engage in. One scripture that rattles me every time I read it is when Paul is speaking to his young mentoree, Timothy, who he'd left in charge of various churches at different times. And Paul uh, just says to Timothy, I don't know whether he was worried at one stage. Timothy was reported to be a bit timid. We get that as a sort of a mirror reading. And Paul says, quite simply, join with me in suffering. I don't know how that would go down if I stood that every stood up every day, uh, every Sunday in church and said, folks, let's suffer together this week. <laughs> but, but Paul says to this young man, we are in a war. I am a prisoner. Join with me in this resistance and in this suffering. Join with me in this ministry of the gospel that takes no prisoners, that that goes forward and that causes a reaction. And then he says, like a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Do you ever think of yourself as a soldier in God's army? And then he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And I know as I've read that throughout the years that I've often thought to myself, am I too distracted at times by the things that the world wants to say is important? Whether they're financial things or or prestige things or power things or influence things or whatever it might be, but something that someone's trying to say is, You need to give your attention to that. Paul's saying, well, actually, you're a member of an army. You're a soldier for Jesus. As his commanding officer, he provides for his soldiers. You get what you need. You don't need to go off and have this concern or this influence or interest in civilian things. There's a war going on for the souls of people, for your destiny and your direction, as well as the lives of others. 
And I want to encourage you and challenge you now, church, that as we reflect about the church that we can be, what does it mean for us individually or even corporately to be distracted by civilian affairs, things that are outside the mission and the ministry of the church? It's a challenge to all of us that we have to consider. Now, we are heading towards the end of our service and I just want to wrap up with a few things and answer the question, what's at the core? Um, and there are so many, there are many things, but there are a few things that come to mind when we talk about that. Firstly, the Bible, our guiding compass, and I want to expand on that in a bit. Jesus is our true north and love is our ministry and reflects the Father's heart. The Bible, of course, is illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit. And when I say Bible on this occasion, I want to talk about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Friends, we know about the gospel because of the Bible. The first followers of Jesus who heard the gospel ultimately wrote it down so that it could be passed on through the ages. If they did not do that, it would have limited our ability to hear it significantly. You might say, well, hang on, someone told me the gospel. Where did they get it from? The the gospel comes from the word of God. So we always lean into that. That is at our core and we are not ashamed of declaring the fact that people need Jesus Christ for salvation. That salvation comes through him. Acts 4, chapters 12 says, there is no other name by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and it's what we declare at our core. Secondly, Jesus is our true north. I know there's a lot of words up there on the screen, but in John 15, he simply declares, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, what a promise, and it will be done for you. This is how my Father's glory, that that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we are committed and dedicated to Jesus Christ. We have no other option. We have no other Lord, but we are found in him and he is our feeling. The encouragement... For this, this morning, church, what I wanted to stress is, and I was trying to get onto this earlier, is that Jesus is here. So our church is not rudderless. When we're presented with changes or transitions or options or struggles or whatever you might call it, Jesus is helping us by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's actually leading us. So we don't need to invent something else or look somewhere else but we simply need to be dedicated and devoted to him. Jesus is our true north. He reminds us, as I prayed earlier, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's a promise. I will build my church. We are encouraged by that and we give thanks that it's not only or or even partially up to us, but Jesus is working it out. He also reminds us that when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Are you encouraged by the fact that Jesus is here today, church? I am. I'm glad because I'd hate it just to be up to me or to anyone else to bring that forward. And then finally, love our Father's heart. 
Love is our message and our ministry through the gospel. A new command Jesus gives to us, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God is love, the Bible says. And he directs it towards us, but towards all the world. He wants everyone to experience it. This leads us to the great commandment, which is based around the word love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The great commandment and then the great commission. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. We've had the three images of the bride, the body and the army and then we've had at our core the word of God, the gospel, Jesus, saviour of all the world and love which reflects the Father's heart. Church, when it talks about the church we can be, when we ask what's at the core, that's it. And by embracing that, by living that out and walking forward in that, then we find the direction we should go in and we reach the people that we need to reach in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful images that we've seen today that speak about the role that we have as followers of you and as members of your church. Lord, we can't understand why you as a perfect and pure God would set your affection upon us, include us in not only your family but your body, would take us into an intimate relationship and then would employ us in the struggle that exists for righteousness and for good on the earth. But the fact is, Lord, that you've done it, you've welcomed us, you've included us, and Lord, we thank you for that and we say, have your way in our lives and in our church, not only this year, but in the years to come. Father, we open our hearts to you right now. And I just encourage everyone in this place right now, even if you're a long-term Christian, you made your decision a long time ago, I just want to encourage you right now. Open your heart to Jesus. Just say, yes, Lord. Just thank him for what he's done and say, yes, Lord, I receive that now. I receive that blessing. I receive that instruction. I receive that correction. I receive that direction. I receive that encouragement, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just believe you're encouraging your people now by your Holy Spirit. For those of you who have not yet said yes to Jesus, who wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a follower of him, maybe some of this stuff is new, but I trust it's exciting that you can be a part of that. I just encourage you now to open your heart to him. Maybe that's something you've never done before or 
you, you maybe didn't plan on doing it, but right now, just open your heart to him. Say, Lord, if this is true, if you have set your affection on me, I want to know more. I want to be part of that. I want to join the destiny that's unfolding here in this place. I just encourage you now, just as we're praying, to maybe pray that prayer, to just say, Jesus, I want to know more. I want to see what this is about. I want you to reveal yourself to me. Father, for the move of your Holy Spirit, for the destiny and the direction of this church, for the future as well as the past, we give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, I'd just like to invite you all now to stand. We're going to close with a time of worship, but also we're going to open the front for a time of prayer. I'd like our prayer ministry team to come forward. And I know myself, maybe you went back to work this week. That was my story. Maybe you're thinking about the year to come. Maybe you've been listening to the How People Grow course and you've been saying, is that for me? You might like someone to pray with you about that this morning. We want to open up this area over here. And if that's you, if you're thinking about the year to come, if you're thinking about what to do or how you're going to deal with this situation or that situation, we'd like to pray for you now in Jesus' name. So as we sing, come forward. If you have a prayer need about anything else, a provision, a healing, health need, whatever it is. We want to make some time for that as well. So we encourage you now, as we play, as we sing, come forward and our prayer ministry team is ready to pray for you over here or over here. We're ready to go. Thank you team. Lead us now.